Can we really appreciate what Jesus has done? Is it easy for us to, to do so? Uh, I, I don't know that we can. I know we all intellectually acknowledge what Jesus has done. Uh, we can appreciate, I suppose, the thought of someone dying for somebody else. Uh, we see depictions of, of people sometimes dying uh, in, a, in a crisis, in a, in, a, in a state of emergency, sometimes in battle, and we acknowledge that. But I wonder if we can really deeply appreciate what it was that Jesus did. Last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the deity of Jesus and how certain titles in Scripture point to and refer to the deity of Jesus. The phrase, Son of Man, from the book of Daniel. The title, Son of God, as it's used in the New Testament. I want us to have those in the back of our minds as we think about another title. Jesus, the Lamb of God. What does it mean that Jesus, as the Son of God, was also the Lamb of God? We see this title used for Jesus throughout the New Testament, or in a couple places in the New Testament. We see this analogy used uh, throughout the New Testament. But what is this imagery intended to describe? And how should I respond to the Lamb of God? I want us this morning to think about the image of a sacrificial lamb in the Old Testament. And think about how Jesus is that lamb and how I should see the lamb in my life. Let's start by thinking about that idea of a sacrificial lamb. We see the idea of sacrificial lamb, uh, lambs used throughout the Old Testament, but I want us to start in Exodus chapter 29. Uh, sheep were used for a number of sacrifices in the Old Testament. But truly in Judaic worship, it was used on a daily basis. I don't know that necessarily that's an idea that is on our minds uh, very regularly, uh, but, but it's true. Every day they were sacrificing sheep, first in the tabernacle and then in the temple. Look at Exodus chapter 29, verse 38. Exodus chapter 29 and verse 38. Moses, communicating the command of God, writes, Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two one-year-old lambs each day, continuously. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And there shall be one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour, mixed with one-fourth of a hen of beaten oil and one-fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering with one lamb. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer with it the same grain offering and the same drink offering as in the morning for a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. It shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the doorway of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak with you. Every day, for day after day, throughout the generations of Israel, the priests were to take these two lambs, one in the morning and one in the evening, and offer these burnt offerings before the tent of meeting. 
for the Jews of Jesus' day, for the Jews of the first century. The idea of a sacrifice was something that was permanently etched on their mind because every day this was being done. In fact, I suspect maybe it was so regularly done that for them it was a point of complacency. It was so common. But these lambs were offered up day in and day out, day after day for generations. And they, they didn't just use them for burnt offerings. Exodus chapters 3, verse 7, you have lambs that are used for peace offerings. Leviticus chapter 4, verse 32, you have lambs that are offered for sin offerings. Leviticus chapter 5 and verse 5, you have lambs that are used as guilt offerings. Every time these lambs had to be perfect without defect. A lamb had to be sacrificed at the door of the tent of meeting, as we saw here, for the burnt offerings. And of course, there were lambs that were used for offerings for atonement for sin, or, or this, that's where we get the idea of the scapegoat. They were actually goats uh, in that case, that were used on the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur today is what we would call it. And they would take two goats. One they would slaughter, sacrifice, and the other they would put the sin of the people on the head of that goat, and they would send it out in the wilderness. That's where the term scapegoat comes from, because it carried the sins of the people for that year out to the wilderness. But those lambs couldn't really do much. Their blood didn't really take away sin. The, the, the goat that was offered up and the goat that was sent out in the wilderness, they, that sacrifice didn't really take away sin. That sin was still there. Bulls that would be offered under different circumstances. Their blood didn't really take away sin. But we're talking about the Lamb of God. Another powerful passage that talks about the Lamb is, of course, the Lamb of, of the Passover, Exodus chapter 11. And you remember, as you turn to Exodus chapter 11, what's, what's going on? There's been a sequence of, of plagues that God has sent upon Egypt, and each of those plagues represents a different Egyptian deity which God is demonstrating his power over. Where the last deity that God demonstrates his power over is the Egyptian deity Ra, which is the sun god. But you remember that Pharaoh was considered to be the incarnation of Ra on earth. And so in that final plague, God says, okay, I'm going to kill the firstborn of every household, even the household of Pharaoh. Now, I just made the land turn completely black. Remember, Ra was the sun god. But still, Pharaoh didn't let up. So God says, okay, I'm going to take the firstborn of every child in Egypt, even from the household of Pharaoh, meaning Ra. But something different is going to happen for the people of Israel. Notice, first of all, how God makes this sentence. Exodus chapter 11, verse 4. Moses said, thus says the Lord, at about midnight I'm going, to, I'm going out into the midst of Egypt, and the firstborn of the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstones, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Moreover, there shall be a great cry in all the land of Egypt, such as there has not been before, and such as shall never be again. But against any of the sons of Israel, a dog will not even bark. 
whether against man or beast, that you may understand how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these, your servants, will come down to me and bow themselves before me, saying, Go out, you and all the people who follow you, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. So this is the setup. How's God going to make a distinction between Israel and Egypt? And that, of course, is the Passover. So notice what happens in chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year for you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of the month, there each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You, shall, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it into two, on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that the same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And so they were to make this sacrifice of this Passover lamb. And they would take the blood, and they were supposed to sprinkle it on, the, put it on the door frames of the houses, and that was the Passover lamb. Now, the angel of death is going to come by, and every house that does not have the blood of the lamb is going to face the consequence of Pharaoh's decision not to let Israel go. But for the Israelites, it would pass over. Notice chapter 12, verse 12. God says, For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. The blood shall be for a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The purpose of the lamb, the Passover lamb, was to be a protection for the people of Israel. This one belongs to me. This one is my child. But against the Egyptians, remember, did you notice that God said, this is to, for me to execute my judgment against the gods of Egypt. Because they had these plentifully of gods. And we didn't read this part. But when Moses first goes in to Pharaoh, he says, God says, Yahweh says, let my people go. And Pharaoh looks at Moses and he says, who is Yahweh that I should listen to him? All the plagues are God's answer to that question. I'll show you who Yahweh is. Yahweh is the one true God. All these other deities that you've been worshiping, they're supposed to control all the different parts of the cosmos. They are nothing. And so God says, I'm going to do one more plague. And I'm going to show you who truly has the power over life and death. It's not Ra. There is someone else who holds the power of death. I so oppose, we might say. He likes to call himself Satan and the devil. 
But you see, God would also show his power over death through the blood of the Lamb. So we see here with the Egyptians and with the Israelites this idea of the blood of the Lamb. And those who were covered were protected from death. Exodus chapter 12, verse 21. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Take for yourselves your lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some to the, of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and to the two doorposts. And none of you shall go outside of the door of his house until morning. And so they do that. And they do as they're commanded. And all of Israel does as they're commanded. And the angel of death goes through Egypt. And those not covered by the blood of the lamb find death in their household. Chapter 12, verses 31 through 36. Egypt is ransacked. They do as God commands them and ask for articles of silver and gold and precious things. And the Egyptians give it to them and say, get out of here. We don't want to see you anymore. Our land is destroyed. And so Egypt is ransacked. But Israel is to continuously remember this the lamb of the Passover chapter 12 verse 24 Moses says and you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever when you enter the land in which the Lord your God shall give you he has promised you you shall observe this right when your children say to you what does this right mean you shall say it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and spared our homes and the people bowed low and worshipped. Israel was to do this every year as a remembrance of what God has done. And in the same way, every family in Israel was redeemed, that is to say, purchased out of slavery in Egypt by the blood of a lamb. So that they have a new life in a promised land. A land that God was going to give them. A land that was to be land. A land that was flowing with milk and honey. A land of promise. A land of prosperity and peace. And in the same way, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus is our lamb. So let's consider how Jesus is our lamb. In John chapter 1, verse 29, and again in John chapter 1, verse 36, as John the Baptist is baptizing in the Jordan River, he sees Jesus. And he tells his disciples, those that are with him, John the Baptist tells his disciples, uh, he says, look, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What did he mean, the Lamb of God? What was it that Jesus was going to do that would take away the sins of the world that would make him the Lamb of God? The disciples who heard this followed Jesus. What was it that made him the Lamb of God? As we look in Isaiah chapter 53, we see this imagery of this one that would come and would be a lamb. Isaiah chapter 53 Verse 4, speaking of the suffering servant, Isaiah says, Surely our griefs he himself bore, 
and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. By his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Now notice verse 7. He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, he did not open his mouth. Verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. He will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, will justify many as he will bear their iniquities. This suffering servant that Isaiah saw was the one who was the Lamb of God who would be a lamb that would be led to the slaughter and not say a word. And in so doing would bear the iniquities that we've all committed. A lamb that was going to willingly go as a guilt offering, not for his own guilt, but for my guilt and for your guilt the guilt of everyone who's ever done anything. That they look back and know that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. For the guilt of anyone who's ever done anything, which maybe they didn't even look back on and say this was wrong, but everyone else knew that it was wrong. For the guilt of any sin or transgression that a person has done. He allowed himself to be that lamb that was the guilt offering for that sin. And so as we look in the New Testament, we see that this, this passage in Isaiah is applied to Jesus. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 32, uh, we see this passage quoted to talk about the Christ. We're told in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10 that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice on our behalf, or propitiation, sins, depending on your translation. We don't know what propitiation or atoning sacrifice means because those aren't things that we normally do, but it just means someone sacrificing in your place. Jesus was that sacrifice. He was that lamb. So the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4, the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. But Jesus died as a sin offering once and for all. He paid that price. He was that guilt offering and that lamb. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18 Peter says that we were redeemed not with things like gold and silver, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, the blood of Christ. 
which redeems us and makes us children of God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 talks about the fact that Jesus, through His blood, redeemed us from the, darkness, from the, the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of His Father. So that's what Jesus did. Consider the imagery of Matthew chapter 26. We come over to Matthew chapter 26 as Jesus is eating the Last Supper with His disciples. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26. They're eating the Passover meal. Or at least what for them is the Passover meal. It says, while they were eating, some took bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, each of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out from the Mount of Olives. Jesus is going through the progression of the Passover meal as it would have been practiced by first century Jews. Five cups of wine were drank on that night. After each drink of a cup of wine, a different act of worship was done or a different passage was read. And they ate the meal at a particular time in the progression of that evening. And Jesus is doing that with his disciples. Only instead of him saying, here's some, some, some bread or here's uh, some roasted lamb, we're remembering what Moses did way back there in Egypt. Instead, he takes those same things and he says, take, eat, this is my body. This is my blood which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is using that moment to say, something better is here. Once and for all, I am the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world because it's my blood that spread, not on the doorposts of a home, but on the cross beam of wood that will be hung at Golgotha. Because it's my blood that's not hanging on the lintels of a door. But it's my blood that's in your heart. Which saves you. And you're not being redeemed from some earthly oppression, but you're being redeemed from sin. It's interesting that in John chapter 19 and verse 36 that it mentions that Jesus' blood or bones were not broken. That sacrificial lambs, their bones were not to be broken. That they were to be roasted whole in the Passover and eaten whole at the Passover. And Jesus' bones were not broken. Even as he hung on the cross and the centurion wanted to make sure that he was dead. Jesus fulfills every aspect of that Passover lamb. And the lamb, lambs that were sacrificed centuries by the Jews. So how should I see the lamb in my life? 
Should I take lightly what God has done? We're living in a dark land of sin, enslaved to death. Not the land of Egypt, but just the world in which we live in. Sin is all around us. Darkness is all around us. Pick a form of violence. Pick a form of immorality. Pick depravity, and you can find it very quickly around us. And yet Christ died to bring us out of that sin and out of this dark world. His blood has redeemed us, Paul says in Acts chapter 20, purchased us out of this slavery. Romans chapter 8, we are adopted as his sons and daughters, purchased, or at that redeeming price of the blood of Christ. And so everything I do ought to be because I want to bring glory to his name because of what he's done for me. They feasted on the lamb. It was going to be a long journey. The lamb gives strength. And Jesus is my strength. He is my energy. And he is my life. What is so important about Jesus and that phrase, Jesus, the Lamb of God? He is our peace offering. He is our burnt offering. He is our guilt offering. He is our Passover. All in one. I don't have to do all those things over and over again because Jesus did it once and for all. He didn't do it unwittingly like those lambs that were raised by the Jews for the special purpose of being sacrificed. Unbeknownst to them, he lived a life knowing that he was doing this because of his love for you and me. That ought to transform the way we live our lives and guide us in every decision we make. If you're here this morning and you need to be covered by the blood of the Lamb by being united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, won't you come? Together we stand and sing.